This talk was recorded at the 2019 Actuarial Society of South Africa Convention at the Sandton Convention Centre. For more information on the Actuarial Society, visit actuarialsociety.org.za. Okay, thank you so much for signing up for the session. Um, my name is, so these things are the other way around, so my name is Roy Gluckman and this is Dominic Chaubepe. And we had Unless to you're doing a Hollywood movie, there was a guy in a Hollywood movie who was white and his name was Kolani something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the rest of us were like, okay, cool, roll with it. <laughs> no. But this is not a Hollywood movie, this is South Africa, right? So, <laughs> guys, thank you so much. Um, this is a session that we have to discuss and engage on a topic called equality, diversity, and inclusion, essentially, um, which requires much longer than an hour. Uh, it requires days, really, for us to really get into it. So how we've designed today's session is not to be an information dump. We are not here to just show you slides and then for you to kind of write. This is really to be a bit of an experience for us to have an opportunity to pause, to reflect, to think about this topic, how it relates to you within your own individual situation, both you as an employee, both you as talent, but also maybe you as leaders, right? Yeah. What is the imperative when it comes to equality, diversity, and inclusion? So the title of the talk is Inclusion, the New Currency and the War of Talent. Uh, our position here today as Cohesion Collective, this little spinning wheel here, which is essentially an equality, diversity and inclusion consulting and training firm, is that talent, you and everyone above and below you, regardless of age, is actually calling and looking for something a little bit different when it comes to workspaces, right? And inclusion for us is this new call. But there's a lot of confusion and misunderstanding about what inclusion is, and we're here to kind of break some of these things down. Quickly from you, si your side, why are you here? Why did you sign up for the session? How can we make this of value for you? Come, we don't want to talk for the full hour. What are some of the things? Why did you sign up? Curious. Yeah. Curious about what? Okay. How are you feeling now? Still curious. All right. Why did you sign up? So something in your environment that's become increase increasingly important to get right. H how's it showed up? How, what have been those demonstrations of importance? Yeah, got it, totally, thank you. Proper. Yeah, anyone else? Of all the topics that we could have started with, why did you sign up for this one in particular? So I teach honor students, so I've got a, a team of 54. Yes. Um, and so the reason I'm here is twofold. One is I prepare them essentially for interviews and for entering the yeah. workplace. And secondly, you know, there's a lot of talk about decolonized education, but actually what that is is inclusive education. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Great. Thank you. Good. Shall we jump in? Should we get started? Okay. First of all, welcome. So my name is Dominic Kraubebe, the other half of Cohesion Collective, and I think Cohesion Collective, in a nutshell, we are a specialist equality, diversity, and inclusion organization. We do consulting in this space, strategy in this space, uh, training and implementation. Being involved within diversity and inclusion in the South African corporate space is something that is both exciting and bloody depressing, for reasons that we'll go forward with in order to be able to explore. Because I think often we speak about these buzzwords around equality, diversity, and inclusion. Let's win the war on talent and now inclusion being the new currency of doing so. But really in the space of doing these buzzwords, I think we ought to get real with ourselves to then say, I think many South African organizations really struggle where inclusion is concerned. But hopefully this morning and rather this hour that we have together, we'll be able to just simplify some concepts for you 
and they had to realize how does that we can engage where inclusion is concerned in a way that need not be terrifying, but really can be quite constructive in unlocking the value that we're seeking to find within our organizations. And just to kind of echo your, the point that was raised in that he's seeing an increased importance in this conversation, so are we, right? So when we had a session last year, we ran an open session, we kind of put out an invite, we had 32 people attend. This year we had 180 people attend, right? So there's this growing swell like, hey, this is important, we don't fully understand it, we're curious about it, but we're also seeing some of the fault lines, yeah. how are we going to make sense of this? So here's just a little video from that session, then we'll jump straight in. So the African Constitution defines equality as treating different people differently in order to enable them to access the same opportunity. Because it recognizes that we're not all starting at the same point. And I think when we look at organizations, particularly the way it's structured in South Africa, it's really like this cappuccino, right? Very dark at the bottom. Very dark in the bottom, lighter, lighter, white at the top, and a few brown sprinkles. Social cohesion is the extent to which people are cooperative within and across group boundaries without coercion or purely self interested motivation. Basically, it's how much we actually cooperate without being forced. A lot of kind of curiosity around it and all we're going to ask you guys today is really kind of for a similar sense of curiosity right yeah. so be open to this conversation be reflective because this is really about you asking the questions of yourself or us to create an opportunity for you to pause and say what's happening in my space who am i how am i involved in this story yeah. to be brave and then of course to come in with a sense of curiosity right to be inquisitive let's ask a tough question so we are going to use a bit of technology today so at some point we'll ask you to pull out your phones or your ipads um and for us to engage that way should we jump in let's get in there every conference that dom and i have attended that we've been asked to speak at or just to come into maybe even this one as well has been based on the premise that our world is somehow changing right at this rapid rate that it's moving so quickly we invited to speak at a conference last year called raising boys and girls with the skill set for a changing world and they said please will you come talk to us about this changing world dom and i had a little snigger we like yeah of course we'll come and speak to you about this changing world and we said and we got up there and we said parents teachers right this is the idea of the changing world and they're all like yeah 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 this is the changing world we're freaking out it's so terrifying and we go into leadership space and we say leaders this is the changing world and yeah this is the changing world it's terrifying we said i know how scary is it but then how do we explain this if this is the in, the, the, the embodiment of a changing world then how do we explain this well, maybe this is the idea of the changing world, right? Betty out of the kitchen, into the workforce, in a cute pantsuit. And we said, okay, well, this is the changing world, right? Then how do we explain this? What happened last year on Mother's Day? From Checkers, right? Gifts to wow mom. Happy Mother's Day. Right? 
Great saving as well, though, on Jick. So the thing is, right, what we said to that conference and what we'll say to everyone here today, what we say consistently, is that our world is not changing. Our world is becoming more sophisticated at representing ideas of change. Yep. But behind the scenes, behind the veneer, behind the backdrop, things are not changing. The things that remain constant. Totally. Yeah. The narrative of change, right, that we're very good at pushing, has two reactions. Either, number one, I hear that there's change. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. They're doing the change. I don't have to get involved. I support you. Like, comment, share, donate. Cool. Nice. Step back, right? Or I say, that change is happening. That's terrifying. I'm very scared about this change. What I'm going to do, I'm going to pull back. I'm going to protect myself and create safety in a lager. Both of these are reactive. Both of these pull away. Both of these disengage. Where for us as a process, what we need to start pushing as in the real narrative is that our world is not changing so much. And instead of raising boys with the skill set for a changing world, how do we raise boys and girls with the skill set to change the world? And we're going to say the same thing to you. That your organizations, though may look different, they don't feel different. And that's what inclusion is about. It's not about a look. It's about a feeling, right? So for us, the world is not changing. It's just becoming more sophisticated, representing change. And we now need to be in control of that change narrative, right? And that's what we're here to really chat about today. Yeah. When we're thinking about some of these veneers of change, we have marriage equality in the States. And we're like, this incredible movement of change, or this terrifying movement of change. We look at hashtag me too, this incredible movement of change, or this devastating movement of change. We look at fees must fall. We look at Pretoria girls, these incredible or terrifying movements of change. But really, again, for us, these are not these incredible movements of change. All these movements are, are to get people on the periphery who've been historically excluded to point zero, the starting point that other people have been at for centuries. That marriage equality is not this incredible movement of change. It's just really to get LGBT people to point zero, the starting point that straight people have been in for centuries. Marry the person that you love, right? That hashtag me too is not this incredible movement of change. It's just really to get women to point zero, the starting point that men have been in for centuries, and that is call out a perpetrator. Oh, and something actually happens, right? That Pretoria girls isn't this incredible or devastating movement of change. It's just to get our young girls of color in our schools to point zero. The starting point, and that is to not have their identity police through policy, not their style, their identity police. So again, the veneers are there, and we're going to challenge you guys that let's take these and understand that behind the scenes there's not much changing. And how do we instead lean in as leaders, right? Lean in as South Africans or citizens of the world and say, how do we start driving the change that we wish to see within our space? Yeah, absolutely. So when you see that image, what thoughts come up for you? Just shout them out. What thoughts, what feelings come up for you when you see this image? Just shout. Hope. Hope. Yeah. What else? Happiness. Happiness. Yes. Colorful. Okay, yeah. are we going to get the realness in this room or are we going to just talk about the happy things? What else comes uh -huh. up? We don't have the happy things only. It looks put on. Differences. Looks yeah. put on. Yes. Facetious. Uh-huh. Acting. Acting, yes. The, I, I'd like to expose a face that's in this room. No? Uh, so in the black community, whenever there's a party, the ones that know that they know how to dance proper, we make a circle. All right? And then when we make that circle, if you're going to get into that circle, you best know that you know what the heck you're doing. But there's no dance that is complete that does not have the face that goes with the dance. Yeah? You know that face, no? When you get in there. 
So I'm seeing those faces when we're seeing this image, <laughs> but people are not speaking. <laughs> <laughs> so what thoughts are coming up for you when you're seeing this? Yeah. 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 Troubled, Troubled history. history. You know, someone once said, I think it was the best submission we've ever had, they said, why do only white people have electronics, right? Which I thought was kind of the best thing we've heard. Yeah. Or one of the analysts in the top picture, like, yeah, the hands are there, but that black one is like, <laughs> like not there. It's like, they're the side. Or when we see this, yeah? Like, we are the world, everybody holding hands. But it's all these mixture of emotions, whether you're inspired by it, whether you look at it in suspicion whether you think that it's something that is great or something that is put on, we have very mixed reactions that comes through this. All right? We as an organization, to be honest, this is the feeling that we get whenever we see that image. Because ladies and gents, doing diversity and getting diversity right is hard. It actually requires hard work. The world would be a lot easier if Roy was just like me and he thought like me and he agreed with me. Ah, this world would be perfect. But now he, this guy has got to have his views, has got to have his perspectives. Now I need to include him in order to make a decision. But I know that this is the right decision. I've just made this decision and things would work. So diversity is something that really does require hard work. It really does. All right. So when you think about diversity, I mean, there has been research that has been done from the early 1980s leading up to present day, really communicating to corporates why diversity is good for your organizations. All right. For the sake of being thorough, I'll give you some of the bullet points that they've discovered, but if you're sitting in this room and you're still wanting to be convinced why diversity is good for your organization, that train has left. <laughs> okay. But we'll be thorough and share some of the points. But if you're still needing to be convinced why it's important for the organization, I think there's a whole lot more work that needs to get done just to get to that point zero to then say, okay, cool, if diversity is fine, how do we now unlock and get our value out of it? But anyway, what are some of the benefits and the business cases of diversity? There's a relationship that exists between diversity and outperformance, fact. You can go case study after case study. You can look at the top Fortune 100 to the FTSE, you name it. Where there's greater diversity, especially in leadership, those companies outperform others, fact. Representation in leadership roles matters. Well, you have leaders that are far more diverse within organizations. We've seen that there's a difference within the bottom line. So organizations normally say, I listen to you where inclusion is concerned as long as it impacts positively my bottom line. But here's the thing about the human experience. Met a young man back in Durban, and uh, we ran a session with him. 23-year-old young man comes to me after the session and says, you know, Dominic, there's just something that I'm struggling with, and I wonder if you'd be able to engage me on this. I said, okay, cool. He says, from the age of nine, I've grown up within the South African con you know, education system, and we've been taught from the age of nine about HIV and AIDS. Right? So since then, at school, I know how AIDS is contracted, I know how AIDS is prevented, I know, how, I know everything about AIDS, but a couple of months ago, a colleague of mine came out as HIV positive, and for some reason or another, whenever he makes me a cup of tea or coffee, I cannot physically bring myself to drink it. Okay? The point of the story is that we can throw stats at you the whole day regarding why diversity is good for the organization. If those statistics do not confirm that what you're feeling as a fear, you'll ignore whatever objective data gets thrown at you. And there's a penalty for opting out. Many organizations, many brands that have not had the right kind of people around the table in order to help them to make the right kinds of decisions. There have been global backlashes that I'm pretty certain you can think back on that have happened in the past few years. Why? Because there is a penalty for opting out. But it's obviously more complex, right? Because the discussions around diversity and inclusion are not comfortable. I mean, I'm almost, I'm surprised that we have quite a full space today because yeah. I think there's so much anxiety around having these conversations. 
And we kind of want to take you through three of the currents that we're seeing within the South African space, particularly around these conversations that we've noted over the last 18 months, right? The first thing that, a lot of fr fr that frustrates a lot of people is this idea of my role, right? You're going you're gonna to help me out here. Uh -huh. What is my body, this body here, what does it represent on the streets in South Africa, this body? What are some of the labels I'll get? Come. Privileged, white, what does that mean, though? No. The, the privilege aspect. I have opportunities, access. Yes. Did I go to school? Where d which school did I go to? Private school? Did I go to university? Which university did I go to? Uh, Stellenbosch. <laughs> do, do I have a car? Who bought my car? <laughs> Where do I live in Johannesburg? Morningside? Okay. Mm -hmm. Whether that is or is not me is irrelevant. Whether that is or is not me is irrelevant. That is how I, in this body, will always be seen first. Now take that and put me in an organization. Those things are going to come with me. Trust, competence, or he knows somebody who, and that's the reason why he's here, or he's not really that great, glamour boy, whatever the case may be. These are the things that are going to follow me. Now, what does the body of my colleague Dominic represent on the streets in South Africa? BE. Mm -hmm. What else? Cheese boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what else? Hey? Corruption. Mm -hmm. What else? Beginning to lean in. Yeah. <laughs> I always have to check in with Dom afterwards. I'm like, how are you feeling? You know, <laughs> no, no, no. What else? Crime. Mm. What else? Scholarship. Interesting. What else? Pardon? Mm. Ah. What else? Disadvantage? Yeah. Impressed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not about negatively inclined or not. Don't <laughs> stress. There's no value judgments here. You know what's really interesting? Yeah. Let, 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 let's ask it as a question ah. before you position it. Why do you say cheese boy? Ah. Coconut. Oh, they okay. You know what's really interesting is that whenever we do this exercise, sitting underneath us, you guys weren't explicit today, people say, when Dom is speaking or when he's not speaking? They say, mm. when Dom is wearing this or he's wearing a tracksuit? are often the qualifications. Yes. Because what we know for a fact, right, is that black men understand that they have to use external markers to say, I'm safe, you can trust me. Clothes, my accent, my glasses. No one ever asks what it is I'm wearing or if I'm speaking or not to get all of those things. And just that slight difference in how it is that people are going to understand our bodies mm -hmm is going to fundamentally change, not only how we navigate the world, but also how we come into organizations, how we're managed, how we're led, our perception of competence yes. and value add. The expectations that are put on us. Totally. So we go to one of the big four banks. We're going to see some executives here. This guy decides to wear the wildest thing. He's like, got those tricotta jeans. All those they were cool ones. at the time, though. Tight ones, so. tricotta. He's there with nose ring, he's there with t-shirt, we get there, goes to the, um, the lady at the reception. Now, hi, I'm coming here to do a presentation for the executive team. She's like, ah, okay, cool, that's the room. I'm sitting there thinking, my guy, there's no chance in hell that I'd come to this bank dressed like you. And I say, I'm here to speak to the executive, and they're like, okay, grant my guy, go here. <laughs> Here's the room. 
But it's because our bodies represent something. It may not even be us, but we walk with an entire history. We walk with entire perceptions that really impact the way in which we navigate the world, the way in which we're treated, the way in which there are certain expectations that are given to us or not around the world in which we operate. But the thing is that we, we don't want to own that. We don't want to own that. It makes us uncomfortable, right? So we had a very senior leadership, tall Afrikaans guy, fantastic guy, and he got really emotional in the session because he's like, you know what, guys? Everyone sees me as this white Afrikaans guy who doesn't get it, who's not for transformation, because remember, add Afrikaans accent onto my body, and it immediately becomes racist. Eh? It's like there's just no option. So he's like, I, I'm so tired of no one ever seeing me, and I'm driving transformation, and I just want to give up, right? And we said, I'm sorry, my angel, but this is it. You're always going to be seen as this first. The reaction of disconnecting is what we need to work, not on the perception of society. Yes. That's not going to change. You know what we said to him? If you want people to see you, you need to lean in and create that vulnerability and to create that relationship. So what we're seeing a lot is the discomfort with what my body represents and a disconnection, right? When really what we should be saying is, of course my body's going to be seen like this. Whether it's me or not is irrelevant. How am I going to lean in and create the relationship? The second thing that we're seeing is a deep sense of voicelessness, right? White people. When it comes to conversations around equality, diversity and inclusion, transformation, privilege, we feel completely voiceless. Why? What are some of the reasons? Come, we know them. I know you know them. Yes, sir. Yep. The fear of being attacked. Why uh -huh. would you be attacked? Uh -huh. mm. uh -huh. What? And then what happens when you label the races? Yeah. And then you say something in Greece and the wife gets pulled out of the organization and the kids out of a school. So white people have seen evidence of what happens. Number one, if, I mean, let's not use Greece as, an, uh, as a good example for this. Yeah. Like that is, but there is a sense that I feel voices because if I ask a question, if I sound curious, or if I am in defense of something, or I attack something, am I going to be seen as this? So white people, I mean, outside of that, there's a deep sense of guilt and kind of an understanding, like maybe my voice isn't of value right now. Maybe it's not our time. Whatever the case may be, there's a deep sense of voicelessness of white South Africans when it comes to these conversations. Absolutely. Right? Deep sense of voicelessness. But conversely, black South Africans, especially in corporate South Africa, mm. why do black South Africans also feel completely voiceless when it comes to discussions regarding inclusion, diversity, transformation, especially in corporate South Africa? Yeah, today in this room. Why? Insincerity? Insincerity, yes. What guy will you be called? What does that guy mean? Hey? Controversial, controversial guy. What else goes with a controversial guy? Radical. Radical. Hmm. A, a little Julius. Yeah. <laughs> EFF supporter. Troublemaker, this one. We're yeah. all trying to have like a nice family lunch during a Sunday and you've got this one. Just, <laughs> that would so much. Like, oh my guy, stop being that guy. So or the angry black woman, right? <laughs> the angry black woman. And that is loaded. But these are the labels that are there, and they're there currently. Mm. And so black South Africans, as well, when it comes to this conversation, they're like, you know what, not even going to bother. Because when I do speak, I become that guy, become that angry black woman, therefore not going to lean in. Okay? Mm. So-called colored and Indian South Africans, why do you feel completely voiceless? Where this discussion is concerned. Mm. There are a few of you.
Mm. Yes. And the decision-making is linked to what? Especially the South African context with uh, colored and Indian South Africans. Sorry? History, yeah. Let's hear from the Indian and colored South Africans. Why do you feel voiceless with this discussion is concerned? Yeah, it's a chamos. Not white enough, not black enough. Ah, what do we lean in? You know what? Let these darkies and whiteies have their separate conversations. And then we'll figure out where the chips may fall. <laughs> right. When was our voice ever of value? What now you want me to come in and sit in for a two hour conversation? Why? I don't know the time. And because those voices are not valued as well within this discussion, also feel voiceless and not going to lean in. But now here's the point. Where inclusion is concerned, especially within your organization, you must realize that this is a great equalizer. We're all feeling voiceless. Mm. For different reasons and from different perspectives, but everyone is feeling voiceless. Mm. Yes, sir. Yes. Mm, introduce some nuance for us. Yes. Mm. Yep. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. So when he starts throwing terms like intersectionality, we then begin to have a room that splits, where you have the woke and the woke-ish. Okay. The woke are like yes. The woke-ish, like what are you on about? <laughs> but part of it is that language actually com complicates trying to have these discussions in a way that is constructive. I'd like to not necessarily challenge, but to think about why we're lost in translation. That it's not about language, and it's not about knowing about intersectionality yes. or not, and privilege or not. You know what it's about? It's about the South African story, which is deep mistrust of the other. That I don't trust that you're coming from a space of curiosity. But why don't I trust that you're coming from a space of insecurity? is because how you see me mm -hmm. is going to affect how it is that you hear me. You're not listening to Roy ask a question, you're seeing a white man ask a question. I'm not listening to a black, I'm not listening, to, I, don't, sorry, I don't see Tokazi asking a question, I'm seeing a black woman ask a question. So how it is that we're seen affects how it is that we're heard. And the stakes are just too high for a lot of us. And it's, it's frightening. So it kind of comes to the last reaction that we're seeing and the new protest and we're seeing this all over the space in every space that we go to all the way from school level all the way up to senior leadership and it's this new protest and the new protest is this I have to surround myself by people who look think feel like me to create the safety in my space because of how you see me is it going to affect how you hear me and you not hearing me right is detrimental potentially to my career I have to surround myself by safety and we're seeing it now what we need to be doing is recognizing this and then asking ourselves the question, well, is this an issue? Do we want to be building a sense of social cohesion from a South African perspective? But do we also want to be building a sense of team cohesion and organizational alignment and cultural connection and engagement? Because if we do, then we kind of have to start speaking to some of these things which are at the heart of equality, diversity and inclusion, skill set and conversation, right? So when Donna said the great equalizer, we're all doing this, and it's okay. But now we're asking you to ask yourself, is it okay that it's okay? Because if it's not okay that this is happening, what are we going to do about it? Yes. In a non-judgmental way, in a way that says we have to have better conversations. 
but it's really hard because we've never been taught to have these conversations. See, primary school thinks that, the, uh, that your parents taught you how to have tough conversations about difference. High school thinks that primary school taught you about it. University thinks that, 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 and all of a sudden we have senior leadership saying stupid things, right? Because everyone expects that the last institution did the work. And the thing is, it's not happening. So how do we start seeing our companies, your organizations as classrooms, to create the space, not for formal education and technical training, but for relationship building and social education? Yeah. That is the unlock. That is how we create trust. That is how we create stronger organizations. Absolutely. Yeah. So for myself, there are a few things that I play. From a society perspective, people are very vocal in society. Why? Because I don't need to worry about my increase or my job or my bonus. Mm. And so out there where there's no consequence, I was very loud, very loud. Even in your organizations, by the way, people are speaking, but they're not speaking in the broader forum. They're speaking in their little pockets where they're feeling safe. At the canteen lunch where everybody comes into canteen and they're like, why do I feel like I've just walked into apartheid South Africa? There's a black table, there's the white tables, and then leadership is freaking out. The conversations are being had but in those safe spaces <laughs> that people have. And I just want uh, to, uh, to add on that, yeah. we mustn't be fooled by the extreme voices, right? Yes. Extreme voices are always the loudest, yeah. but there is always that huge moderate base and we're not having the conversations. So the loud hailers on either side of the political race, gender spectrum are doing a lot of talking, but there's this big moderate base that is kind of saying, I don't really know how to do this yes. or where to do this, right? South Africa is not Twitter, mm. but Twitter is very loud. <laughs> but South Africa is not Twitter. So we must always keep that perspective in mind. Can we yeah. park leaning in for the end? Yeah. So when we speak about diversity, diversity has to do with our what as people. Difference is wonderful. And what are the things that make us different? Please shout them. We'll write them. What makes us different? Race, yes. Gender, background. Socioeconomic status, religion. Uh, sorry, you need to shout it louder. Education, language, religion, yeah, religion we've got. Money. Uh, but I need to avoid a, mo a Model C term. We said socioeconomic status. It's covered. <laughs> we've got it there. Yes, what else? Opinions. Yes, the different pers uh, opinions, perspectives that we have. Yeah, what else makes us different? Geography. Sexual orientation, yes. Geography. Geography, yes. Politics, age. Who said age? Uh -huh. like, where, where Interesting. Is it? Okay, cool. <laughs> because normally the people that are like age are like, yeah, these bloody millennials coming into our offices <laughs> thinking they know everything. <laughs> it's actually usually the depressed old white guys like age. <laughs> so shame. We always are like, yes, so it sucks. <laughs> yeah. So we've got race, background, gender, socioeconomic status, religion, education, language, uh, your income. income, opinions, geography, sexual orientation, politics, age. What else makes us different? Interests, dress sense. Let's expand dress sense. Dress sense I can change. So if I'm like a useless dresser, that I can change. But what, what are the things that I cannot change about myself? Let's say physical appearance. Yeah. Yeah. But I know where you're going. Because when I go there and I go to Avis, I'm scanning. Yeah, I want to go speak with that one in order to get my... It's a thing. Just playing. Just playing. <laughs> no. But physical appearance is a thing. Right. And ability and disability. Physical ability. Yeah. 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 There, was a, there was a woman that was undergoing coaching. So this is a conversation we had 2019 Corporate South Africa. So a female executive goes to corporate coaching and she was told that ah, you must make sure that you're not on the plus size because there's no plus size executives within our firm. Mm. This was an actual conversation that's being had currently in corporate SA. So physical appearance absolutely is a thing. 
Yeah. What about family responsibility? Good. Yes, ma'am. Family responsibility, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Even mental health, we can put it. Yep. Pregnancy, marital status, HIV status, accent. But only for certain people, right? Yeah, well. <laughs> only for certain people. And let me share this example and take it from whence it comes. We're doing a session with a uh, French company that has a subsidiary here in South Africa. The GM comes from France. His name is Diego. Diego then has an entire one-hour presentation with the South African team. So to put it in a nice way, this Frenchman, how he was speaking the Queen's English, no, he was butchering it. He was like, yeah, he was clapping it, like proper, proper. But the people were listening, and Diego finished, and the people clapped. I then stood up and decided to be cheeky. I said, my fellow South African, you do realize that if I came in front of you being a black South African, and I spoke English the way Diego did, you'd be questioning if I'm even qualified to be in front of you. But Diego was just a French, a French man. But in the South African context, I know that my accent is equated to my level of perceived intelligence in how it is that I command the English language. So it's a thing. Okay? And we don't, we we've got gender there, but we don't have sex there. Sorry? Same, same, same. Yeah? Same, same note, but you are going intersectionality. Now you're like letting the team down, man. <laughs> but, but, but honestly, though, is there a difference between sexual orientation, sex, gender? Yeah, and if there is, what is the difference? Yes, which, which one is that? Okay, and then the gender one? And then we still have sexual orientation, three different things. Yeah, once again, we've got the moment of the woke and the woke-ish. <laughs> yeah, the woke are like, yes, yes, ma'am. Yes, yes. Wonderful, so we're now all clear, we can move on, eh? No? <laughs> okay, cool. No problem. Let's explain it to everyone so that we're all on the same page. So essentially what you've said 100%, sex is the biology, born male or born female. In about 1% of the human family, there are people that get born intersex, which means they have both male and female parts within them. All right? Gender, how it is that a person identifies. So you may be born female, but it may not necessarily follow that you identify as a woman. All right? Simply put, by a high school girl, she said sex is what's in between your legs and gender is what's between your ears. Well, all clear? Wonderful. Sexual orientation is whom it is that you're attracted to. Okay? So now let's give you a scenario. Some of these scenarios are playing up within your spaces. A person can be born male who identifies as a woman, okay? who is attracted to men, and she's considered a straight or heterosexual woman, regardless of the parts that she was born with or may still have. Start again. Mm. No problem. Biologically born male who identifies as a woman. She's a woman who's attracted to men and she's considered a straight or heterosexual woman regardless of the parts that she was born with or may still have. Okay. What are some of the thoughts and feelings that you are having? Confused. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's, that's another one. No, but this. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Ah, uh-uh. now, now, now you're having a social media culture. I know, no, no. But this is exact. But this is exactly the point that you were making earlier. That when you're trying to have a very valid discussion, to then say, "Cool, I'll identify you as a woman." But now, as a professional athlete, and you want to compete with other females, that's where, for you, you'd want to draw the line. But we need to be having these kinds of discussions to then say, even though we may hold two fundamentally different views, how can we still maintain a mutual respect as human beings for each other for holding those views, rather than buying into this cancelling culture that says just because your view is not the same as mine, you must not sit down in a corner and shut up. Ah, uh-uh. we need to regain that kind of complexity. Because we're all coexisting, and especially within organizations where we're all holding various different views and sometimes opposing views. But what we need to practice, how can we still maintain a mutual respect as people and respect each other for holding those views? But also be challenged. Because we might be talking about 100 meters. Yes. But what about when me as a senior leader is saying, I can't put a person like this in front of my client? So I don't know if my client's going to be okay with this. So yep. I'm not going to take you to my meeting but I'll need you to do the photocopying when I'm done. Or I don't really like how any of these dimensions on here, you know, this person kind of slurps their coffee in the meeting. Don't have the good meeting etiquette. So I'm not going to take them to the meeting with my clients, right? Or the person comes and they do an interview with us. And we'll all sit in the interview and we'll all listen very diligently. And when the person leaves, we're like, ah, great candidate, but we're not actually if they're going to be the right culture fit. When we then look at the CV, a uh, guy came, cum laude, Limpopo University, so he came with that Limpopo. No, I'm not sure if this accent is going to be the right culture fit for us. So this is a client-facing role. But these are the things that we're saying on a day-to-day basis that are impacting people's lives and people's careers. And often we say them so flippantly that we're not even interrogating that which we mean. And I think why we do this diversity matrix, or rather soup, is to understand that all of us, right, it's not about talking about our differences. It's about the value judgments that we attach to difference. That's what we need to be working on. And all of these, this triangle here, this individual that we've described, we often talk about confusion, and it's not so much confusion for this person. This person is very clear. It's confusion for us. It's something happening inside of us that's going to change how it is that we engage with this individual. And we all have value judgments based on all of these things, right, that affect how it is we engage with one another. So really for us, when we're talking about diversity, it's broad and it's complex, but it's also not about the other person. It's about you, it's about your beliefs and your understanding. So how do we create a space where you can internally look and build that self-awareness? Yeah. So that's just kind of a high level. I've skipped over the slide because we were just worried about time, where we would essentially talk about where we see South Africa at the moment and where we really see South Africa is a huge amount of anger and fear. And what we want to say to everyone here today is don't think that your organizations with your fancy glass-reflected panels are reflecting the anger and fear that exists within South Africa. It's coming into your organization in leadership in every way, right? And what we say to organizations, we need to become more astute at addressing the anger and fear because it's affecting how people are being managed, how they're being dismissed, whether they're showing up, whether they're engaged or not, right? So that's the macro. Now we want to take you right into organizations and how we see this. We're going to need you to pull out your phones at this point. Um, if you can please pull out your phones or an iPad or something that's going to connect to the internet. I hope you guys are all connected to the internet anyway. You're going to go to 
menti.com, M-E-N-T-I dot com, M-E-N-T-I dot com, and you are going to put in this code over here, 990484, 990484, when you logged in, you can just look up and I'll give you the instruction. If you have any questions, yes? 990484. 990484. Menti.com. We're ready. Guys, this is going to be, and this is really the starting point with any conversation around inclusion. So everyone look up at me. I don't need you to look at your phones. You don't need it just yet. This is the starting point of the conversation, right? So we're going to ask you to do this exercise individually, anonymously, and to kind of be brave. We don't want you to overthink it, over-intellectualize it. It's quite intuitive and we'll see what we can get. Now, so listen, here's the instruction. In your mind's eye, I want you to think about your organization, your business, where you work. Right? Think about it right now for a moment, what it feels like, what it looks like, who's in there. Now what we'd like for you to do is to take your organization and make it one person. Personify it, put it in human form. A person that comes in through this door, stands in front of you here today. What would this person look like? We're going to ask questions. What is their race? What is their gender? What is their sexual orientation? What language do they speak? What religion do they practice? What income bracket are they able-bodied or disabled? Now here's some qualifications. It's not who it is you want it to be. It's who it is today. It's not about the demographics of the space. It's about what the space feels like. When you come into your office, who are you engaging with? When you get paid, who are you thanking, right? So don't overthink it. Quite intuitive. We're going to go to the slides, right? So were your organization to be a person, we'd like for you to kind of yeah. add your and vote. Also, and also for those who come from organizations with like a strong marketing build, not who you try to portray on a website, but who your organization is. Were your person to, were your organization to be a person, what race would they be? White, black, colored, Indian, mixed race? Were your organization to be a person, what would they be? I wish I had a horse racing uh, voice. Oh. Right? right. We're not going to discuss these. It's not important to unpack them. We'll unpack this at the end. We can see if we can find consensus, right? Yeah. Cool. Were your organization to be a person, what gender would they be? Male, female, gender non-conforming. Were your organization to be a person, what gender would they be? be male, female, gender non-conforming being neither, kind of fluid between the two. Were your organization to be a person, what sexual orientation would they be? Lesbian, straight, gay, bisexual, transgender, asexual. Were your organization to be a person, what sexual orientation would they be? Sure. 
Good. Were your organizations to be a person, would they be physically able-bodied or physically disabled? Whether to be one person, what would they look at? And don't hoi shade. Just tell us what to do. What language would they speak? English, Afrikaans, this is Zulu. See, that's that white pause when we see that X. You see what happened there? I'm like, I'm not going in for that <laughs> one. I'm not doing it today. It's okay, Roy. We'll do more lessons together. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Were your organization to be a person, what religion would they practice? Christian, Muslim, Jewish, Hindu, agnostic, atheist. I think atheist is spelled incorrectly. Right. Income is still coming up. Income is coming up. And then finally, were your organization to be a person, what income bracket would they be in? Lower, middle, upper middle, upper. Oh, this is a neck on neck one. Good. Thank you. You guys have done very well. Let's unpack this. It's really, really important that we sit and understand what it is that we've just done. When we look at our research, and we do this over and over and over again, it's our fundamental starting point in this conversation. We ask people to personify their organization from school level all the way up to senior leadership, right? And literally 10 times out of 10, which I think has been demonstrated here, that people identify or personify their organization as a white male who's straight, able-bodied, Christian-ish is where they kind of get to. Kind of like, yeah, I kind of grew up in a Christian home, but like doesn't really go to church anymore. English, Afrikaans speaking, upper income bracket. Let's unpack this. There's two things we need to land with you here today, right? The first one is this, very important. This person is not a bad person. It sounds trite, but I think what we're seeing a lot, particularly with senior leadership, when we ask them to do this, they say, who it is we are now, or who we want to be. And immediately we've internalized the badness of the person, the redundancy of this individual within the space. And that is a damaging narrative when we're thinking about inclusion and team effectiveness and social cohesion, to say that this person, this white pale male has got no space in the society, he's the worst, he's Donald Trump, that whiteness is bad, masculinity is bad, right, is a very negative approach to what it is that I think we need to be doing. So the first thing that we're saying is that this is not a bad person, that we're not here to replace us with black gay women and now we've transformed, but to understand that this person, though he's not a bad person, has a responsibility and a role, is empowered within this organization to create the change into X, Y, Z, right? So the reason we have to be explicit about this is many often, many times when it comes to these conversations, we have an individual like this who just totally disengages internalizing their own badness and redundancy in the space. And we say that is not the case. But how do we create the space to lean in that we can think about the experience and what this person's role is within the space? That is number one. Now, number two is the most important. Listen carefully to me if you're thinking about the currency of trust. If this is the personified version 
of your organization. I need you to see your offices as this person's home. As an organization, we see organizations as houses. We spend more of our time there. It's a series of roles, responsibility, power dynamics. So I need you to see your office as this person's home. Now this is if you're going to want to talk to your grads and your students. This is where you can tune in. For me, Roy, in this body, this is basically my home. This is literally the home that I grew up in. It's actually, it is actually in Morningside down the road here, in case you were wondering. This is my home. I know everything about this home. Moving from university into this house is as seamless as me moving from my home into my home. There is no difference. I know the rules. I know how to break the rules just enough not to get into too much trouble. I know how to communicate. I know how to be. I know how to build relationships. I know how to maneuver. I know how to be seen. I know how to not be seen. I know everything about the space because this is literally my home. And that is how I enter. Dominic did not grow up in a house like this. But the organization will similarly say to me, Roy, make yourself at home. I'm like, thank you so much. Come up to Dom. Dom, make yourself at home. He's like, thank you so much. I believe you mean that. But this isn't my home. And I, I don't understand the rules of this home. And I don't understand the space. And I don't know how to build relationships. And I'm not necessarily sure how loud or how soft I need to be. And every time I'm too soft, they keep saying, be louder. But you need to understand, I can't be loud in this home. It's not my home. No, and they keep... When I, when I become louder, I become that guy. Right. And they keep saying, Dom, we need you to lean in more. Right? Mm. Need you to... Show some gravitas. Yes. Be a leader. Influence. But all I really feel like, I'm in someone else's home and I don't want to draw attention to myself. What you never want to do in another person's home is drop a plate at lunch and everyone turns to you and looks at you. You don't want to do that, so you kind of... Now, these two experiences, this difference of experience, again, fundamentally changes how we navigate the organization, right? How far we lean in, how far we don't lean in. And what we need to say to you here, all, all of you here today, so listen really carefully to me. Because we'd go around the room and we'd say, what is inclusion? And you'd say, to be heard, to be valued, to belong, to be seen. All the fantastic things, and they're all actually correct. But we're going to make it super simple for you. Because it's in the complexity of how many answers there are that makes this really scary for us. We're going to make it super easy for you. All inclusion is, is comfort is comfort how comfortable are you as you not a version of you to show up in this house every single day how comfortable are you how comfortable are you how comfortable are you and what we know for a fact is that the closer a person's identity is to the personification of the house automatically the more comfortable they are what we know for a fact is that the further your identity is from the personification of the house the less comfortable you automatically are why is comfort important, right? Because we always have leadership saying, this comfort thing, I don't really understand it. And we say, well, which of you, let's ask you guys the question. How many of you guys thought what shoes you were going to wear today? What shoes you were going to put on this morning? Any of you? Yeah? Has anyone since thought about their shoes today at all? Why? We only think about our shoes when they are uncomfortable. We only know about this comfort thing when we are uncomfortable. So when leadership say, Roy, I don't get this comfort thing, we say, but that's so great. It means you're so comfortable, you don't even know you're wearing shoes. What a blessing. But for somebody who's not comfortable in the space, they know that every step in that organization is one that is considered that is difficult. 
And we're not here to shame people who meet the personification, but say, you have comfort. How are we going to create more comfort? Yes. Also, leadership say, ah, oh, this comfort, this touchy, nice, feely thing. You know, now they want bean bags, and then it's meal vouchers, and what's a... And we say, but if we think about it, right? It's not about external comforts of bean bags and working pods. It's about what leadership and a culture and an environment creates internal comfort for me. Why is internal comfort important? Why is comfort important generally? Well, look at these things. The more comfortable you are, the greater your breath to explore and to excel within a space or in a home. The more comfortable you are, the safer you feel to speak up within this home. The more comfortable you are, the more engaged you are. The more comfortable you are, the greater your courage to try something and to fail. What is that the foundation of? Innovation. The more comfortable you are, the greater your willingness to ask for more or to ask for help. And the more comfortable you are, the better one learns. Now you tell me, are you not measuring every single one of these things? You are. In your engagement surveys, in your interviews, in your performance reviews, all of these things you're measuring. But then we say, oh, this inclusion, nice to have this fluffy thing at the end of the board meeting. How are numbers? Good? Okay, bad? All right, we'll chat about it next board meeting. Yes. That's it. That's where it gets relegated. And really, this idea of comfort what behaviors that I'm seeing in my leadership build more comfort or break down comfort, how this environment, how the structure supports comfort or breaks away comfort is actually the currency of talent. What people as human beings, what we are looking for because human beings are cre we creatures of comfort. And also understand that not everyone is always going to be comfortable all of the time. No. But it's really recognizing what are these artificial barriers that we put in front of people that actually make the experience tougher than it ought to be. Simple examples can be as follows. Uh, we met a guy, his name is John. And then we asked John, uh, please tell us how did you get your name John? And he said, actually my name is not John. But we're like, but you introduced yourself as John. And he said, yes. So where did John come from? So a guy came into the organization, they said, what's your name? He said, Shukudolo Bimbi. Someone was like, Woo, don't you have anything that's easier? And he was like, John. And this guy, till this day, has his email address, john at this organization.co.za. Right. But can you imagine from this person's perspective how comfortable are they in showing up within the space, is, even if something as basic as their name is not welcome with them? Right. And let's go to the other end. There's a friend of mine, his name is Kharat. And then I met Kharat a few uh, years ago, and now Kharat is Gerard. But there's something within the space regarding what the people need to be changing or to fit into. We take these things for granted, but they fundamentally impact the experience that's on within the space. And, and let's just give a little anecdote, right? So I w we work with a, a colleague, her name is Julia Macubella, black woman, right? So we go into this organization, we're running an inclusion assessment, we're figuring out what's going on in the space. Yeah. And we're in a focus group, it's kind of in the lounge area, the, the, this meeting room, and I can see, oh, there's a popcorn machine there, and I'm like, cool, after the session, I'll go and make some popcorn, okay, fabulous, cool. We finish up the session, I can thank everyone, I walk out, make myself some popcorn, turn around, and she's looking at me, and her jaw is on the floor, and she's like, look at you, you've been here for one day in this organization, and you have walked into the kitchen, and you've made myself popcorn, and for me, as a black woman, I'm worried about how loud I speak in the corridor. You don't even understand how comfortable you are and what it gives you access to. Now translate me walking into the kitchen and making popcorn in terms of career development in an organization. It's huge, massive. What is the call to action here today, right? Because I think we're not actually going to do the next slide because I think we should have a conversation. We should have a bit of a Q&A and a bit of a discussion around this because you guys feel sober. <laughs> sober. Here's the call to action. 
we cannot at this point necessarily change the personification of your organization. We have done work in schools that are 95% black and they still personify their organization like that because it's about a value system. So putting black gay women in leadership isn't necessarily going to change anything. Rep representation is critically important. That is not, I'm not saying it isn't, right? But inclusion is not what a space looks like. It's what a space feels like. So for you guys as talent, for you guys managing teams, for leaders in the room, the call to action is how do we create relationships, spaces, working environments that increase the amount of comfort but the starting point is understanding the other person. How comfortable are you? What can I do to make you more comfortable? Because I've got this comfort and I want to share it, right? This is the new currency of trust. Why is it the new currency of talent? Why is it the new currency of talent? Because all the fourth industrial revolution is forcing us to do is to reassess our humanity. And all we're trying to do in organizations is actually to start infusing more humanity within this space. Yeah. And comfort is at the heart of that human experience. So for us, inclusion, yes, diversity, absolutely, but it's actually just about comfort. All inclusion is comfort. Right. Yeah. Love to find out. Any questions? Ten minutes. How are you guys feeling? Forget about questions. How are you feeling? You feeling enlightened? Okay. Yes. How are we feeling? Woke. <laughs> Woke. How are we feeling? Touched. Yeah. Would you mind expanding on that for yourself? Mm. Yes. And we're still at the surface. We're not even trolling you. And you know what? We're all going to survive. This is the thing. We're all going to survive. Everyone's going to walk out of this feeling irritated, angry, inspired, seen, validated. It doesn't matter. And we're all yeah. going to get on with our lives. And life goes on. Absolutely. Because we don't have to be so terrified of these conversations. Mm. But it challenges us because there are a lot of narratives and stories that we've bought into that then begin to be challenged. For example, the narrative of meritocracy. We as an organization are meritocracy. The ones that make it to the top of our organizations, the ones that are leaders in our organizations, are the ones that are the best and the brightest. If you, ma'am, just work hard, you'd get to the top of this organization. Mm -hmm. But meritocracy is a both and. It's not just meritocracy. There's other things that add on that actually enable a person's career. Simple example, there's a um, so philharmonic orchestra in the United States. So this philharmonic orchestra had been in existence for more than 50 years. Consistently, through its 50-year existence, had always had about 10% or less women representation playing in the orchestra. Eventually, uh, there's a journalist that goes, interviews the conductor, says, you know, Maestro, when orchestra has been running, it's not become like an institution. But for all these decades, you've never had more than 10% women in your orchestra. What's going on? Maestro says, Madam, if I could find women that played as much as some of these guys and really work hard, are the best when they field, play their instruments at the level that I require, they'd be part of my orchestra. She then challenged them to then say, on the next round of auditions, let's please do blind auditions. So they hired this hall and in this hall they put up a screen so they couldn't see who was coming to audition. When the people were auditioning, they went and they spoke to them to say, please take off your shoes. So we couldn't hear whether they were walking in heels or wearing in flats. 
when they were doing the audition, all the maestro and his panel of advisors had was the music that they're listening to and what's written on the score sheet. One audition, they went from 10% to 45% women representation. But guess what? They were a meritocracy. Where the people that are the best and the brightest and the hardest working in the field would be part of the orchestra. But what that case just illustrated is that given the history that we have, the social conditioning that we have, we absolutely view people's value in different ways mm. by virtue of how it is that they look. They could be brilliant, but because of our conditioning, we do not see it. So, so I think the, the, the challenge is that, that whole voicelessness thing, that's happening across, across the, the age spectrum, everywhere, right? So we have to, I think the way we start challenging people to think critically is when we go into the realness and we kind of cut all the bullshit, right? I also think anecdote and storytelling is a critical opportunity for us to be sharing within that space. I just want to quickly build on something. See, sometimes, particularly in the grad space, we're saying, oh, you know, their English accent isn't so good or whatever, we should give them elocution lessons, right? And sometimes that is incredibly damaging because we're asking them to move closer and assimilate to this, which is not what inclusion is, right? But then at the same time, let's bring the complexity and what do we say, them, say, say to them? Hey, by the way, you're going into this white and you're not that, so you're going to be screwed. How do we do that? We did a talk to recruiters. They did not feel like they wanted to continue recruitment after us because they're coming in and they're saying, we want all of your diversity. We want all of your difference. Come on, challenge us. You know, bring in that innovation. And then they knew that as soon as they brought their grads into their space, it was like, actually, it was like 30% of your blackness that we actually wanted in the space. Like the rest, the loud, the eating their hands that we can't have right within the space. I need the twangiest English. It was 10% of your femininity. I don't want to hear if you're engaged. We're going to have a child and that's good. So this is the challenge, right? So we have to kind of, there's not one soul. There's, we have to work at multiple points. How is talent showing up? How are we empowering talent? How are we training leadership to create space? How are we challenging some of the structures in our space? So it's, it's a bit of a mix. Whew. I mean, let's kind of, sometimes I don't really care whether you need to feel it or not. Because um, I don't care if, like, I don't care about intention always. Sometimes you must just do the things and you must, like, do it, right? Not because, you know. For me, the way we unlock the business case for diversity is when we start talking about the anger and fear associated with difference and change. Those senior leadership are also scared. For the white parents in the room and for that leadership, let's say, is ma majority white men, they're saying, I'm terrified that my boys and girls, my children, aren't going to have opportunity because they're the wrong race and the wrong gender. That too is coming into the how it is that they're leading. That anxiety is changing how it is they see their future. And now we expect them to be the sanitized person, much like they expect you guys to be sanitized and come in with no emotions. They come, they're emotional as well, these white men, I promise you. Talk about their family and you'll see the emotions come out. But we're not allowed, they're not allowed to show their emotions, right? The same way you aren't as a black woman within the space. They also have to bottle a lot. So you know how we do it, we create the space. And say, you know what guys, it's not that you are unwilling to change. You know, we haven't met one leadership team that says we're not going to transform. We're unwilling to change. Not one have we met. But what we do say to leadership, it's not that you're unwilling to change, really. But it's that you might be unsure of how to. You're unsure of how to manage this. You're unsure of how to deal with your emotions, of how to have these conversations. Not that you're unwilling to, but then we also say, whether you are unwilling to change or unsure of how to doesn't really matter. Because if you're unwilling to do something unsure, the net effect is the same. Nothing's happening. And no one underneath senior leadership is going to give leadership the benefit of the doubt. Oh, shame, they're unsure. No, I'm saying, no, you're unwilling. So we said, leadership, we're going to give you the benefit of the doubt. 
you're unsure of how to do it. Now, how are we going to get more sure? And how we get more sure is a series of strategies, a series of things that we need to do. Yes. But the starting point is also saying and validating their humanity. You're also a person, a mom, a dad, an uncle. You also have this stuff. And that's not easy. <laughs> and I think there's no better way than to conclude it. Because you must le realize, ladies and gents, I mean, you're all very smart people within the uh, various spaces that you work in. I'm sure you can design a life cover and funeral policy and all these things that need to go behind it. And a machine can do that as well. But only a human being can sit down with someone that has lost a loved one and actually be able to show them compassion and walk them through the process of loss. So the reconnection with our humanity is what actually unlocks our businesses, not these things that we're thinking about with innovation and social and controls and and. So ladies and gents, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for joining us. We do hope that there was a lot of value that you're able to derive from the session. And really just the takeout that you need to take away for yourself is for you to win that war on talent. How do we get our spaces more comfortable? Mm. How do we get them more inclusive? And you'll absolutely be on the right track. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah.